We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. got another one here from tyler erig brian tyler says when do you think the recruiting dynamos dominoes will start to fall after recruits have taken spring camp visits feel like it's been a while since we've had a commitment what was the last well, commitment just, letter more letter more was less yeah, right? yeah i mean it's pretty normal this time yeah. of year i mean you have a dead period uh, you know february tends to not be a huge year for recruiting for juniors yeah. it's just part of the deal uh, that's that's usually March. that's usually the the top ten list section of the of the process, right. you know. Like, right, yeah. right. I mean, it, it normally Ryan, you start getting in late March into to early April is when you start yeah. to see that that jump really start to happen. You know, you look at last year, they signed, they got a commitment from Preston Zinter on uh, February eleventh. Prior to that. There, you know, they had gotten a commitment from Justin Rett and Peyton Bowen in like December, January. And then after Preston Zinter committed in February, they didn't get another commitment until April 19th. Yeah. And then over those next next week, you got a commitment from Braylon James, Sam Pendleton, Bubakar Traore. And then early May, Devin Houston, Sullivan Absher committed. So late March, April is when you'll start to see that run. Now, of course, they also got a a February silent commit from Dante Moore, but that was a thing where it's like, okay, you're, it's going to be a while before he goes public. So it wasn't quite the same thing, but this is not a time when you load up on recruits right now. It just, it, it isn't. Yeah. So I, I, I wouldn't worry about it too much. Do you remember that little period where we had, where it was like, what was it like five commitments in six days or whatever yes. it was? Like it, it was, was like wild. in June or July. Yeah. It was late wild, June, early man. July. Yeah. yeah. But May, May to June is in July is when you really fill up this class. You know, right now it's just about getting new offers. I mean, because remember last year, like they didn't offer Jeremiah Love to like what February, something March, like that, yeah. something yeah. like that. You know, so you're gonna have the pots of gold coming out next week. You know, so it, it's gonna get busy here real soon, real soon. This is yeah. a normal. This is a normal and, time. And and kids are starting to set up those visits, right? Like the visit structures happening. And then obviously April 22nd is going to be a big opportunity to get a lot of kids on campus with it being the blue gold game. Like it would be last year. What do we, do we have, 
There's at least two to three silence during the blue and gold game last year. Yeah, Southern Absher committed during the game. I mean, we yeah. found out during the game. I remember texting yeah. you. I was up in the with a uh, sitting in the a, a box with a friend of mine, and and I'm getting text messages like, you know, hey, Sullivan's, you know, Sullivan Absher yeah. committed that kind of thing. So yeah, they they did they did. Yeah. So it was a yeah. stuff you, happens quick, man. It happens in yeah. packs too, because like most of these kids commit around the same type of times, right? Like they want to. A lot of kids want to get this over with. There's not a lot of kids that want to take it into their senior year anymore. Like they want to get it done. So I mean, you the, when's the when's the domino start? I would say it's you know that kids are going to start. I mean, we have several kids that are several recruits that are going to be visiting Notre Dame later this month. There's going to be even more next month, April 22nd for the Blue Gold game. Over the next six seven weeks, there's going to be start to be a lot of movement on that regard. Yeah. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash Blue Wire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash Blue Wire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring podcasts on the Blue Wire Network. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System yet, then you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. Wherever you are across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE System technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unified, U-N-I-F-Y-D, healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system. We got a next question from five Burkhart boys. Thank you for the question. Mailbag. When will it be time to panic regarding the defensive line backer and safety recruiting for 2023? Or I guess they meant 2024. Was this a DC board problem or a head coach being distracted by all the coaching changes? I don't think the last part of it is, is a problem. I mean, no. you're, it's more of the defensive coordinator, just not who's also linebackers coach, not doing a great job. And the fact that James Arnitis left. Yeah. I mean, if James Laurinaitis doesn't leave, it's a no brainer that Peyton Pierce is coming to Notre Dame. Just yep. no brainer. Now I'm a lot more concerned about that. You know, I, 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 I don't feel good about that one right now, to be honest with you. 
Yeah. Hopefully they'll be able to get back on track, but that one's a lot more concerning for me. It's about who's doing that recruiting. That's what the problem is. You know, let's not forget that Marcus Freeman was the primary. I mean, he was the linebackers coach when Drake Bowen committed. He was the guy that pushed for and recruited Preston Center, and he was the primary reason that Jaden Osbury came. Now, Al Golden helped close the deal with Jaden Osbury. No yeah. question, no question about it. But it was if it it was the foundation laid by Marcus Freeman for the year prior that late. You know, that resulted in him ultimately coming. So I think it's just that right there. As far as when when is it time to panic? Number one, safety recruiting. I have zero problem with where they are. I, yeah, I, I I feel good about four guys oh, yeah. potentially having in at the class. Least, I'm good. Yeah, at I'm good. least four guys. I I could argue yeah. that there's five or six guys that they're in a really good position with, and they're going to need three of those guys. I'm not worried about safety recruiting at all right now uh, because again, we're we're not anticipating a bunch of guys jumping on board right now. Uh, linebacker and D line, I am concerned. The time to panic is like July if they haven't filled up. If Justin Scott's not in the class by then, if if you know they haven't filled up with the top players at those positions, I'll be concerned then. Yeah. Right now, I th- there's nothing I'm concerned about right now other than just like a little nervous about the board. But again, you can go back to last year and and, and look at when some of those guys were were uh, you know off. I mean, they, they had guys last year's class that that just were I don't even think were offered yet or had just gotten offers from Notre Dame. When did Micah Bell get offered? Do you remember when I, he got I offered? Think he, I think he was after Jeremiah now. Love, wasn't he? Was he around after Jeremiah Love? I think Love? so. I'm, I'm actually yeah. going to look I'm actually going to look right now to find out when Micah Bell even got offered by Notre Dame. Yeah, March 17th. So for yeah. a week from now is the one-year anniversary of when Micah Bell got offered by Notre Dame. So I mean that's that's going to be part of it is again why I I, I look I, and I know we're not a patient society. We everything needs to happen now, but I'm just telling you yeah. With a lot of this stuff, it's just not panic time right now or anywhere close. It it doesn't mean that there's not reason to be concerned. It just means it's not reason to panic yet. You know, right. there are positions. Don't, don't, don't that ring Ryan the sirens I, yet. Don't ring right. the sirens yet. Right. Okay. Ryan yeah. and I are certainly concerned about about um, you know where they are right now in regard to certain positions, but it, it, that that's different than saying I'm I'm, I'm panicked right now. Right. So. Yeah, I would say late June, and or I'd say probably into July. But if there's not looking good in places in June, then that's more reason to be concerned. The defensive line opinion. recruiting is going to be really interesting because, like, I'm at the point here, Brian. I don't know if you agree with this, but as long as Notre Dame gets Justin Scott and they get like you know three to four other like toolsy kids that can develop, I still feel fine about it. Like, I still feel good about it, right? But if you don't get Justin Scott, then you're in trouble. <laughs> like that's just yeah. kind of where it is, in my opinion, right? So, I mean, if you don't have a commitment from Justin Scott, or you haven't been able to close on him, and it's like July, you're like, oh man, this isn't good. Yeah. Like this is not a good situation to be in. You're not in a good yep. spot. Absolutely. All right, let's get to some more questions here, Ryan. We have one from Mike Reddy. Question is: What are your thoughts on the future of the ACC? What do you think will happen, and what would you do to keep the conference alive long term? Do you think it would be best for Notre Dame if the ACC folded? No, I don't think it'd be best for Notre Dame if the ACC folded because I think the ACC right now is a deterrent to the super conferences, and and the true two league super conference would be the worst thing for Notre Dame. And so, if I'm Jack Swarbrick and I'm trying to save our independence, I'm fighting hard to make sure that the Big Twelve and the ACC remain viable conferences. So. What are my thoughts on the future of the ACC? If they didn't have such a 
I mean, rock solid grant of rights situation, like incredibly expensive. It a school like Florida State that's hurting for money cannot afford to get out of their grant of rights right now. They just they, they just it's like hundreds of millions of dollars to get out of that. They can't afford that. Wow. And and so uh, that's the only thing saving the ACC right now. That's it. If the ACC doesn't figure something out soon and 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 find some way to kind of swing a big stick a little bit or find partners to help them swing a big stick a little bit, then they're going to be in trouble. Because, But here, here's the danger. Because their contract is so long, ESPN wants out of that contract. There's no doubt. ESPN wants to be able to bring Clemson and Florida State and Miami, North Carolina over the SEC, and then they want to just let the rest just kind of – they don't care. They don't want to keep paying the ACC all that money because they can't – I don't think – look, I've heard several different shows that, that right now Disney's kind of looking into selling off different parts, and ESPN is for sale. I was was listening to a radio show the other day that was talking about that. They're not doing well financially, and the only thing keeping them afloat are these TV deals. Well, the reality is they've committed so much money to the SEC that I don't think, based on current projections, they can afford to pay the ACC – and the SEC and the other conferences that they're paying. And so I think what they want to do is get out of the ACC deal, bring in the four teams that they like out of the ACC into the SEC. And then now they would pay the SEC more, but they'd be paying a lot less because they don't have the ACC as an entirety the entire time. So then what happens? Those ACC teams basically get picked off by the Big Ten, the ones that the Big Ten wants. And now you're basically at the three super conf, the two super conferences. And then the Big 12 is pretty much screwed. You know, hopefully the Big 12 and Pac 12 can form some kind of alliance or whatever, but it, it, there's not a lot of good TV markets in that, in that collaboration. So now all of a sudden you get closer and closer to Notre Dame being forced into a conference. So the ACC is going to have to figure something out. They're going to have to figure, figure something out. And, and for me, finding a way to get out of that deal while keeping the conference intact is going to be challenging, but desired. So like if you can somehow work out a deal with CBS or Fox or something, you know, where, where you're able to kind of get more money to that league, it, I just don't see them. The, the, the length of the contract is what's keeping them alive right now, but it's also the thing that could kill them because the SEC and Big Ten are just going to start making so much money that they're just going to fall way behind and it's just not going to be doable. You're not going to sustain it for 2036, in my opinion. Yeah. I don't think it has a big impact on Notre Dame uh, either way, because Notre Dame can, you know, like there's plenty of options for Notre Dame at that point in time. But yeah, I think it's good for Notre Dame if the ACC stay, stays intact, though. Look, keep you got to keep at least four of the big conferences alive. Once you get down to three, that third one's, uh, you know, that third one is down on its last leg. It's just a matter of time. If you can keep at least four still alive, like if you're a Notre Dame fan and what's independence, you need to be praying that the Pac-12 can find some kind of big-time TV partner that keeps those teams there, that keeps Oregon and Washington in the Pac-12. And now they're going to lose some teams. The Pac-12 is going to probably lose some teams. They're going to probably lose some teams to the Big 12. But if you can somehow keep the Pac-12 alive with that big TV deal, that, that helps them a ton. But at the end of the day, once the Pac-12 goes, you better hope that the the Big 12 and the ACC stay afloat because if they if they get too far behind and they fold, Notre Dame's going to be in a position where I, I feel they're going to have to be in a position where they're forced to join one of the two super conferences. 
That's well, just where I'm at with it. Well, maybe, maybe if ESPN t- uh, gets out of that one TV deal with the ACC, maybe they uh, maybe they can put some more money into recruiting so that I don't have to see Jaden Greathouse yeah. listed as a potential replacement for Michael Mayer this year. You know, maybe yeah. We could, well, and they didn't even mention happen. they didn't even mention Mitchell Evans. You know, the guy that caught the game when he touched on the ball. <laughs> this is such a joke. Such a big joke. six foot one, two hundred pounds. Jane Grit, two hundred eight pound. Jane Greathouse is going to be the starting tight end for Notre Dame next year. Yes, yeah. very, very intelligent yeah. man. Very intelligent. Yep. Yes, just and they're they're not balking though, Brian. I'll give them that man. They're not balking. Yeah. They left him as a tight end in the ranking the whole time. They're sticking with yep. him as a tight end. Doubling down so, on that yeah, insanity. Sure <laughs> I, I'm going to read this next one, Ryan, because it's kind of a yeah. draft question for you. Here, here right. it is. Zach Martin asks, if you were the Bears, Chicago Bears, what would your version of or of how they should handle their first round? I mean, my version, be, I think, yeah. your vision, I think is what my that vision. should have read. What would be your vision of how they should handle their first round? You got to trade out of the first overall pa- spot. Like you have to, right? Like there's some conversation right now. And I think Sean mentioned this on the show because there was like a conversation piece that was happening nationally that maybe you try to trade back twice. I personally think that you trade back once and you still make sure that you get either Will Anderson or Jalen Carter if everything checks out. Like I know that's a little more of a checkered conversation right now, but you need to make sure you get an elite football player because at the end of the day, the Bears are a bad roster, man. They are. And I know people will say, yeah, but but if you trade back more, you get more draft capital. Sure, but this is not a great class for elite level talents. I still want to get an elite talent at the top, but also accumulate more draft capital. So yeah. maybe it's the, I think that it's the Colts that have the fourth overall pick. I think that's because the Texans have the second. I think the Colts have the fourth. Like right. then trading back to the fourth overall spot with the with the Colts is like the perfect situation because to jump up three spots to number one pick, you're still going to get decent draft capital back for that. If it's the yeah. Texans that just want to jump up to make sure nobody else jumps them, like you'll get another, you know, you'll get like a second rounder on top of still having the second overall pick. But I want increased draft capital, but still right. making sure that I get an elite level football player. Yeah, like that's a possibility for me. If you can stay in the top eight to ten, you're going to get that, in my opinion, because there's going to be two spots that are taken by quarterbacks, which means two position players fall down further to you. Uh, Colts to me at four would be good, Ryan, because to your point they're still going to get one of Jalen Carter or Will Anderson at four, in yep. my opinion. Like there, There's no – I see two quarterbacks going one-two. I see quarterbacks going one-two. Whoever trades up to one is doing that to get a quarterback, and whoever's sitting there at two, tech, Texans are probably going to take a quarterback as well. Yes. And if the Texans trade down, it's they're trading down because somebody wants a quarterback. I think the, the worst thing to happen to the Bears was Jalen Carter's situation. But yeah. then that kind of got, got impacted because you, it's hard to take a guy like that, number one. But then the best thing to happen to the Bears was C.J. Stroud just lighting it up at the pro day, at the combine. I thought C.J. Stroud. Everybody talked about Anthony Richardson, and I'm like, did you watch C.J. Stroud throwing that football? He was the best was thrower there by far. By yeah. far, yeah. And so to me, now all of a sudden, C.J. Stroud is getting back to where people should be viewing him, which is as arguably the best quarterback in this draft. So now with him and Bryce Young, there's a little bit more of that debate. Which means there's a greater there's greater value on getting up to number one if you view one of them as that guy because you know Houston's going to take the other guy. You can't sit there at four if you're the Colts and hope to get a quarterback like one of those two, unless you fall in love with like a Will Levis or a Anthony Richardson, which would be kind of foolish if you're the Colts. But if the Colts are smart, they're going to know there's two quarterbacks in this class that are much closer to worth of being a top five pick than the other two. 
and that's CJ Stroud and and Bryce Young. And so to me, if you trade down to four, I don't know if they'll get another first round pick out of it, but you're at least going to get multiple high value picks, Ryan. You've still got your quarterback and you're almost guaranteed to get one of Will Anderson or Jay, and Jalen Carter. I just don't see how trading down to four or five is a lose lose is a lose at all for the Bears unless they just make a bad pick. You know, trade down to four and take Paris Johnson or something like that, right? Which is really way too high, in my opinion, for Paris Johnson. So that's where I that's where I would be. And, and honestly, if I'm the Bears, Ryan, if I was if I got a a, a a crazy deal, let's just say from like the Jets at 13, if the Jets were willing to offer me something insane, I'd still be willing to trade down to 13 to be honest with you, because there I think is a better range for like an offensive lineman. If I'm getting like multiple number ones, like something insane, I'd be willing to go down that far, but barring just something insane, I'm not going past six or seven or eight. Probably it'd be the lowest I'd be willing to go down. And and eight, the Falcons, I don't, I don't think the Falcons are a player for moving up to take a quarterback. Do you? It's possible. It depends what they think about. Not all the way up to one. Right now, yeah. their guy's Desmond Ritter at quarterback, though. So I don't like, know if that's – I don't know if that's like, oh, yeah, we're set. But I just don't yeah. know if going up from eight – if I'm them, I'm, I'll am i sit at eight, and if, if one of the – if, you know, Richardson falls for me, I'll maybe consider it. But Maybe they go up to three, though. I mean, the Cardinals yeah. might be another trade-back candidate at, at pick three. Like, that's always possible, too. Brian, right. you, know what's, you know what's weird is um, I think that the Colts might be able to stick at four and still get C.J. Shroud. I still think that maybe. could happen. I still think it could happen. You know what, Ryan? I just I have a hard time believing that because I think it's almost a given that the Texans are going to take a quarterback right now. In my view, I just that's yep. just how I feel, and I just I, I I'd be shocked. I I honestly, this is maybe just me. This may be wishful thinking on my part. Yeah, I think a lot of the Levis Richardson stuff is more smoke than it is anything, especially with Levis. I, I could be wrong. That's just me convincing myself of this Le- just because Levis, Levis had high first round grades before the season. That's though. fine. Like, but he sucked this year. My my whole thing is this is me convincing myself that the NFL isn't this stupid is yeah. really what it comes down to. But I'd be shocked, shocked if Will Levis went ahead of CJ Stroud. And again, that that's just me wishful thinking for me. I I think it's more likely that Anthony Richardson goes over CJ Stroud. Really, at at one or two? I I don't think it's. I mean, that 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 would be stupid, but that would be much more understandable because there's a chance he at least has that big time ceiling. I I, yeah, I wouldn't be thrilled about. I wouldn't call it stupid. It's not stupid. A guy with his upside, it's It's not stupid taking him anywhere. It's It's a a huge gamble. Yeah. But it's not like taking Mitch Trubisky at two. It's not because he has an <laughs> enormous ceiling. So to me, taking Anthony Richardson at two is a lot like taking Josh Allen at two if a team would have done that. You're taking a big risk, but the potential reward could be big time. Right. Will Levis, I just don't see it. I just I don't see it, right? And then the other thing about his 2021 campaign that everybody raves about I mean, the guy threw I'm, – I'm going to give you these numbers, Ryan, because I was explaining this to a buddy last night, and he was like, I'm going to have to go back and look at him again. I was like, please do. Will Levis in 2021, in 13 games, passed for 2,812 yards, which in today's era is not a lot. He threw for 367 yards against uh, against Louis, Louisiana Monroe. Yep. He threw for uh, – I'm, I'm adding them up. He threw for 254 yards against Chattanooga – and he threw for 419 yards against New Mexico State. 
So in three games against bad teams, Will Levis passed for 37% of his entire season production in those games. Also in those games, he threw for 10 of his 24 touchdowns, passing touchdowns, came in those games as well. And and so you know, I watch this guy play, and I'm just like, you guys have got to tell me something that you got to explain to me what I'm missing because I just don't see it. I don't see a big time player. Yes, he's got a big arm, but I'm like, he got beat out by Sean Clifford. He did, and did not play that. I mean, you're talking about drafting a guy I, in the I top love... five that's never thrown for even three thousand yards in did a season. See, there, there was somebody I, I forget who it was, but it was a it was a verified person on Twitter. Legitimate verified too, not pay for Twitter blue verified. There was a legitimate verified person on Twitter that someone said that to him was like, "Oh, we got beat out by Sean Clifford at Penn State," and then someone said, "Oh, Joe Burrow got beat out at Ohio State." I'm like, "Got beat out by Dwayne Haskins, Dwayne who went Haskins. In the first round, right?" You touchdowns. left out a pretty important part of that. <laughs> yeah, uh, you know, and then the the last thing for me too is. I said the guy's never thrown for twenty eight hundred yards in a se- or three thousand yards in a season. This past year, there were thirty eight quarterbacks that passed for three thousand yards. Yeah, like if you can't get to three, Tommy Reese threw for three thousand yards. Ian Book threw for three thousand yards. Like if you can't get to three thousand yards passing, you're just not a very good quarterback. I'm sorry, you're Sean just Clifford not. Threw for, Sean Clifford probably threw for three thousand yards too this season. Yeah, I'm, sure. I'm actually curious about that. I, I, you know, Ian Book threw for twenty eight hundred yards in a COVID shortened season. If if Ian Book would have played one more game, he'd have had two three thousand yard seasons. You know, and so I just well, it, actually Ian Book was on pace to throw for three thousand yards three times if he would have played full seasons. Because remember, yeah. he took he averaged three hundred yards a game in twenty eighteen. He just didn't start till like the fourth game. Yep. And then he he averaged enough yards where if he had just played one more game, the normal number of games in 2020, he he plays, he throws for 3,000 yards. And Will Levis couldn't do that once. Yeah. I mean, you're just you're just gonna have to convince me. And now look, Anthony Richardson didn't either, but he's only played had one season as a starter. He's only had 10 starts under his belt, right? Right. Yeah. And so it's a little bit of a different animal. And so, I mean, there were five SEC quarterbacks that threw for over 3,000 yards last year. You know, I mean, Will Levis last year threw for 2,400 yards. Again, he, he missed two games with injury. But, you know, and here's the other thing. People talk about, you know, Notre Dame fans are talking about how they're concerned about how Sam Hartman's thrown 26 picks in the last two years. Yeah. He did that on almost 1,000 pass attempts. <laughs> Right. So the last two years, Will Levitz has thrown 24 interceptions, 23 interceptions, excuse me. But he's done that on 636 pass attempts, right? Almost 400 less. Yeah. 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 Like, like about, it's about 300, a little over 300 less than, than Sam Hartman. That's not yeah. good. So <laughs> I just don't get it. I, I just, I really don't get it. Again, Richardson, you're taking just as big of a gamble, but Richardson, redshirt freshman, redshirt sophomore, and the other guy, fifth year senior. Exactly. Like, there's a big difference. In if 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 Anthony Richardson stayed in college as long as Will Levis, he'd be a star. Yeah, star, no brainer, no brainer, top ten pick. And that's why I wish, honestly, I wish he would have come back for another year. I do too. I'd love to see him I, develop more next year. I just don't know about him with Florida, though. Like, I get do you that. think like maybe maybe hit that. the portal and go somewhere else? Maybe, maybe like, like go to I, Bama yeah, or something like yeah. that. Yeah, I, I you know, big time man, I, somewhere he would have been developed. Because look, yeah. at, look at what going to LSU did for Jaden Daniels' career. Sure, 
I mean, yeah, you you could do that. Look, I think yeah. Sam Hartman, Notre Dame, you know, I would have been, I would have supported that, honestly, because Florida's not a good situation right now. They're not. But yeah, if not. he'd have gone to, you know, let's say Ohio State, Ryan, let Ryan Day work with him for a year or, yeah. you know, go to Alabama or something like that. Sure. Sure. And he'd be he'd be fun yeah. at Ohio State, wouldn't he? He'd be oh, really yeah. fun at Ohio State. Oh, yeah. uh, man, yeah, as soon as, as soon as I saw Will Levis puts mayo in his coffee, I was like, all right, can't take this guy, man. Yeah, can't that's just a weird uh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's not it. Yeah. Oh gosh. Holy moly. You could all see right, you could see it, you could see the mayo curdling in his coffee as he's drinking it. It is absolutely disgusting. Yeah, yeah. absolutely disgusting. Yep. Oh my goodness gracious. All right, let's go to some more questions here. We got one from Hulk Strongest. Isn't it the same situation next year with Tyler having little experience and no experience behind him with the CJ coming in? Do you think they're still going to bring in a transfer? No. Uh, the The big difference is couplefold, right? Number one is if Tyler Buckner is just the backup next this year, he still has way more experience next year than he did coming into this season where he literally played one year of college football. Now he has three starts under his belt, which isn't a ton, but it's still three more starts than he had. He's going to be much deeper into the system. He's going to be two years older than he was physically and and mentally and emotionally. And your backups behind him are Drew Pine and Steve Angeli. With all due respect to those two guys, in 2024, your backups are going to be, if Tyler Buckner's a starter, your backups are going to be third-year Steve Angeli, Kenny Minchie, and C.J. Carr. They're in a way better situation, way better situation in 24 than they were coming into 22. So, yeah, I, I, I don't think it's the same situation next year. Inexperience by itself is not a problem. Right. Inexperience with combined with a lack of um, – y- y- his inexperience I, last I year was twofold. Yeah. It was inexperience in game and inexperience overall. He was a two-year – he was going into second year of college football. There's different types of inexperience. Like when Mac Jones took over in 2020, he only had what three career starts, and they were all late the year before. You know, had what couple pick sixes against Auburn. Sound familiar, right? Came yeah. in, threw a lot of yards, but had like two pick sixes in, in a loss to Auburn. But he'd been in the system for three years. He was three years in the weight room. He, you know, and so all those things helped him go be ready to play the next year. That's a whole lot different than if Mac Jones would have been thrown into the fire two years prior in 2018 way different and so I, I get where you're coming from hulk it's just i don't see it i don't see it that way i really and, don't see it and, that way. and you have three legitimate dudes i think at the top that are also going to push each other as well right like i yeah. i think that's one thing that we didn't talk about enough was the fact that you know drew pine you know whatever we'll, we'll leave that conversation out of here as much but like drew pine didn't really push tyler as much in the preseason last year because we knew it was going to be tyler right it's, it's just like you know, Drew tried his hardest. He he battled it. He comp- he competed. All that great stuff. But like, we knew it was going to be Tyler Buckner. I think legitimately, though, next offseason, Brian, if Tyler Buckner says I'm coming back and everything, you could legitimately say, you know what, Tyler? Yeah, man, you're the guy. But like, redshirt freshman Kenny Minchie, pretty talented dude, man. CJ Carr coming in, like you got some top level talent in that situation where it's like. You got some guys competing against one another, man. Like it's not one guy that just knows he's going to be the starter. Like you have to hold off Kenny Minchie. You got to stop CJ Carr from coming in and making a big impact early. Like I think that I think that's kind of a difference too. Is that it's just a yeah. different situation in the sense that like you're not going to have a starter that is the clear 
head head and shoulders above who number two is at that point. It's like yeah. you're two and three and next year situation. If Tyler comes back is like, that's pretty talented, man. Like it's yeah. some dudes in that room. I, I want to bring something up, Ryan, that, that can somewhat it, it's, 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 this is look, I, I want to read this question and I want to address this real quick because this is going to strike some people a certain way. But John okay. Mariner said ESPN and Disney are slowly going out of business because they went woke. It's sad, man. I remember when I was a kid, ESPN was all day sports all day. I would literally watch for 24 hours straight. Here's my thing. If it, I don't necessarily as from a political standpoint, necessarily disagree with some of what you're saying, but I think it's way too simplistic to say this, especially for ESPN, because I could list 10 things that are hurting ESPN right now that have nothing to do with their political bias. Now, does their political bias hurt their viewership? And to some people it does, but for a lot of people it doesn't because some people don't care. You know, like, hey, I'll still watch SportsCenter. I'll still watch this. I just won't watch this opinion-based show because they talk politics and I don't agree with their politics. But that doesn't have anything to do with SportsCenter. What's happening to ESPN is, number one, I think they've overcommitted to paying these conferences and have not been able to kind of figure out what's going on with how streaming has so greatly impacted their bottom line. That's a big part of this too. There's, there's a lot of, they have a very flawed business model, in my opinion, that has nothing to do with their politics. Now, for me personally, their politics has ter- caused me to turn it off. I'm not going to lie to you, but the, it, that's not something, but I had, I wasn't watching a lot of it anyway, because life changes and you just don't have the time to sit in front of the TV. And there's so many more options of things to watch. I can watch quick highlights on YouTube. I can, there's just so many things like that, that make it more convenient for me to see highlights of a game than for me to wait until the 11 o'clock sports hour sports center. That's the thing. And so, yes, we can get into the whole go, woke, go broke thing. And, and that's fine. That's a conversation for a different show. But I think if we're being, if we're being intellectually honest, we need to be able to say there's a lot of bad business practices that have happened at ESPN that are also causing the issues that they're having, you know, and, and, and that's the thing for me, Ryan, that is so much more impactful than, than, than the, the, the stuff that people talk about the cultural issues that have been going on at ESPN the last few years, because ESPN didn't really start going crazy with the politics, politics stuff until the last three years. And they they were struggling financially way before that in my opinion, because of bad business policies and not really adapting to the changes in the way that people consume information. I think those are more problematic that, you know, things like going away from journalism, firing all your journalists and still, but still paying Stephen A. Smith and, and people like him, what they're paying them. Right. And, and that's what I think keeps like Fox sports from getting better is they're spending all this money on people like Skip Bayless and, and people like that, as opposed to, real journalism, you yeah. know? And so I, I, I think, I think we, 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 it, it's to me, it's intellectually shallow to just say this. And I don't mean this disrespect. That, that was a real, that sounded disrespectful, John. And I don't mean it that way, but it's, it's too easy in, in not putting enough thought into what's really going on and how long this has been going on to, to be able to, to turn it down just to their politics. I think that's a, a very, uh, just a very shallow way of of looking at what's going on at ESPN because this has been a decade coming, and they didn't start having these wild political opinions to people on my side of things, right? To other people that they, they, yeah. they don't they don't have a problem with their politics, but people on my side, it has a lot more to do with business 
practices and paying the NBA way too much. They paid way too much to get the NBA. They overpaid for a lot of, so now they've brought all these sports into their fold and they can't afford it all because of the changes that the way people consume information. I think that has a lot more to do with it, Ryan, than their politics, in my opinion. Yeah. I mean, I think that's a lot, that's a lot of companies. I don't think Brian, as far as like, you need to be able to project forward, right? Like what's the demand going to be? What's the landscape going to look like? I feel like that's a lot, a lot of businesses and companies fail is that like, you need to be able to change with the times and you need to have a little bit of foresight kind of right. included with you. Right. Like, right. It, cause I mean, you're right. I mean, I, I, I don't even have like, I don't even have cable TV anymore. Like I literally have right. all streaming services. Like I have YouTube TV and like a couple other things or whatever. It's just like, I'm not watching ESPN on my, on TV anymore. And, you know? and, and Ryan, you and I have, let, we'll just say this. You and I have very different political beliefs, sure. right. About yeah. a lot of things. So, you and I came to the same conclusion. I don't watch ESPN anymore. Yeah. Even though we have completely different political views. So I can't blame you can't blame it on, well, it's because of their political takes. Like, no, I, I stopped I, watching I also, really ESPN a lot more. Yeah. Somebody said something in the chat. They went too much into the debate stuff. Yes. That the that bothers shock, me. Shock shock yes. stuff. Like yes. yeah. Yeah. Yes. That and also I, I, as much. I, I feel like a lot of the money that they've spent is also taken away from like the presentations, you know, and like right. the good quality content. Right. It's like I don't want to listen to anybody on Sports Center anymore. Like right. if I'm wa- no. if I'm watching like the Sports Center top ten, I'm going to mute the TV and just watch. You know what I mean? Like right. I don't want to hear anybody's commentary right. on there. I anymore. think <laughs> that stuff has a lot more to do with their political takes. Because honestly, there's only a certain number of shows where the politics is really a part of the conversation. I can easily just turn that off and still watch Sports Center. Yeah, you know, what I mean, like it's just the overall quality of their production has gone down, and it's just. Nowadays, it's like, you just, why do I need to watch that? It's like, I can get my highlights somewhere else. I can do this somewhere else. I don't need to wait for sports center at 11 o'clock. I just, you you can literally go on YouTube. You can literally go on YouTube and type in sports center top 10 and it'll pop up for you too. Like, I don't need to watch sports center anymore. (laughs) Like YouTube rules the world now, man. Shout out to YouTube. They have done a great job for them. Right. So like for me, the political stuff keeps me from coming back to ESPN, but it's not the reason right. I left ESPN. Right. And so I don't, I just, I think it's, I think it's too easy to say it's because of their politics, because I, I don't know. I just, I think that's too easy, Ryan. It's, yeah. it's, it's too easy and it doesn't really get into, to the issue for me. I, I just, you know, game day, it's like, it's too long. There's, it's just, you lose sight of it. It's just, you got people that aren't qualified to be on there. Like, you know why I don't watch game day anymore? It has nothing to do with their politics. It's lame. Yeah. It's it a bunch lame. of it's a people who aren't whose takes to me don't inform me of anything. You know, and it's just like it got old. Give me like this is somebody just brought a big. This is why I like the big noon kickoff. It's an hour long, right? Hour too long, but it's it's say what you want about Matt Leinert and Reggie Bush, whatever. Those guys talk ball. They do. And yeah. they make their stances and, and I'll disagree with them, but I'm like in a way where I'm like, okay, yeah, I see where he's coming from. That's a good point, but here's my take on it. And sure. it's more intellectually stimulating than just the, the crap that you see on game. It has nothing to do with politics at I, all. I, 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 I also see way too many commentators that are on there now and 
analysts and everything where I'm just like, they're just not prepared either no. for anything. It's like no. all due respect for Rob Gronkowski, great tight end, one of the best I've ever seen. But I, I, I forget what game I was watching, man, and he was just butchering everybody's name. Like he had no idea about these two right. football teams. He had no idea right. about them. Why, why, why am I listening to him right now? He doesn't know anything about these teams. I, all due respect right. to Terry Bradshaw, NFL Hall of Famer, Brian, I can't listen to the the kickoff that they have every week for Sunday right. for Sunday football uh, Sunday morning football. It's just like he doesn't know these players at right. all. Like, why right. am I listening to him? He doesn't know. Literally, I can find uh, I can find a random guy out on the streets that knows more of these players than Terry Bradshaw does at this point. Right, those are names. Right, like it's just yeah. And, and the whole point about the politics thing is, right? I'm seeing people in the chat that I know for a fact have very po- different political views than me that are saying the same things about why they don't watch ESPN that I don't watch ESPN. And that's the whole point. And, and, and again, they, they just have not, they have overpaid for too many sports. And I think by them creating a, a sort of a, 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 they're not quite a pure monopoly, but they're the closest thing to it. They've hurt themselves because when you have no competition, you get lazy. You get fat and yeah. lazy. That's the reality of it. And that's what ESPN has done. There's no real competition to say, this group is doing a great job. We got to stay sharp. Look at the production right. that this sport, this entity has and the quality of the job they do for game day production or or this or that or reporting or news or like you say, well, ESPN sucks because they're not breaking. They're not reporting. They're not good reporters anymore. Well, who does? Who, who are the good reporters out there anymore that have any kind of platform I, to go I think break a big is- story? I think this is just a subpar football media thing, more even yeah. more than it's just like an ESPN sports thing, man. Media, like, in yeah, general. sports media. Yeah. You're right. You're not wrong. Well, and, not wrong. and that's true in national media as well. There's no more just. Yeah. There's not very many just pure reporters anymore. There's reporters uh-huh. on this side, and there's reporters on that side, and it's always coming from some kind of slant. I, I don't and, like and the, that. I, I can't and, and the actual I good report, and the actual good reporters, nobody highlights them as much because they're not shocking. Like, oh they man, don't get the clicks. They don't yeah, get exactly. the clicks. They don't exactly. create. Yes, it's become a very cheapened version of of it. And so I think these are all things that are that hurt all the whole industry. It's yeah. not just ESPN. ESPN's problem is they kind of they got too fat. Is really what yeah. happened. Is if ESPN was smart, and they're not. They would have. They would let some of these conferences walk to other networks. Yeah, and, like they would say, "Hey, look, ACC will let you out, and you know, go to Fox or go to CBS or something like that." Because then they're not paying as much. Then they can put some of that revenue back into their production, their team, and all that stuff. But they, 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 they don't, they're not smart enough to do that. Well, that has that has nothing to do with politics. That has to do with bad business. And I think ESPN's biggest problem is not their politics. It, that may be annoying. But their problem is there's people that just are bad business people in, yeah. in charge of making these decisions that have no foresight. And that's what's killed ESPN in my opinion. And, and it's not ESPN, but like even Greg Olson, I don't know if you heard him commentate this year, Brian, as a color analyst. I thought Greg Olson did a really good job, man. I thought yeah. he did a really good job. And then all of a sudden Tom Brady's coming in. You're paying him so much that you have to cut Greg Olson's salary. Right. I'm like, so right. you're, you're, you are, you are punishing a person for actually doing a good job. Is that what we're doing right now? Like, it's just yeah, yeah. so backwards, man. Very yeah, backwards. I agree. I just want to address that because I we see that a lot now, right? When something, some some business is struggling, oh, go woke, go broke. And I'm like, well, sometimes that might be true. But in other times, yeah. it's like, well, they've been having these problems a lot more before they started putting politics into things. And I think that's true of yeah. ESPN. The politics stuff didn't help. This is why I said, stay out of politics. I don't need you talking about that stuff. Talk to me about the matchup this Saturday, yeah. right? 
And that's kind of what we do for the most part here is like we're, we're talking sports. And I just think it's so I don't want them talking about that. But that's they weren't a thriving business. And all of a sudden they started talking politics. You know, they, they yeah. fl- that's not what happened. And that's why I don't think it's it's you could maybe make that case for Disney, but you can't make that case for ESPN, in my opinion. I just I just don't think that's a that's just that's just not a that's not a real deep answer, in my opinion. I, I really I really don't. So anyway, it's a, it's a good, it's a good conversation, but I've, I've, I've seen this talked about a lot and I really wanted to address it because I just don't feel that accurately represents. Cause like, so you're going to tell me if ESPN got out of, if, if somebody knew about ESPN and the only thing he changed was we're staying out of politics. Do you think ESPN would somehow get better? No, it wouldn't. It's the overall type of product that they have. That's the problem. And it has nothing to do with the politics. I don't think that helps, but I don't think it has anything to do with it in my opinion. Right. Right. So a uh, good, good conversation. I just, I really wanted to get to that because I've seen that talked about a lot, Ryan. So thank you for uh, indulging me in that one. So here okay. we go. We got from call me ties, get back on track. Hart, uh, Sam Hartman in 2023, Tyler Buckner in 2024. Are you excited for the quarterback battle in 2025 with retro sophomore, Kenny Minchie and Richard freshman CJ Carr? That's going to be a fun spring summer. Yeah. fall. Well, I still think we're not. We shouldn't be dismissing Tyler Buckner coming back for twenty twenty five. I mean, he's got that extra year of eligibility. He wouldn't probably unless Tyler Buckner. See, here is the thing about Tyler Buckner: he doesn't have he can't he doesn't have the body to be a one year wonder the way a Will Levis or a Anthony. Let's say Anthony Richard would have come out this year and thrown for thirty five hundred yards and been really. He's he's a one year wonder. He would have been a I mean no brainer top five pick no brainer top five pick probably number one overall pick if Anthony Richardson would have shown more prowess as a passer this year, yeah you know then then he's to me clearly the number one pick, right? Yeah because he's got everything big arm athletic huge body and then he would have had the production and feel for the game and all that different deal. Tyler Buckner is not that guy. He's six one and a half. He's 215, 220. He doesn't have the bazooka arm. He's going to need two full years to be that guy, uh, to be a to considered a, a big-time NFL prospect. I don't even know if he's it then. I think Tyler Buckner has a chance to be a great college quarterback. I don't know if he'll ever be someone that the NFL is going to look at and say, first-round pick. You know, I, I just don't know if that's there. So I don't know why he would leave after 2024 unless he's just not going to be the starting quarterback the next year. So if he does really well in 2024, I, I think he'll be back in 2025, in my view. I could be wrong on that, but that's I think we shouldn't just assume he's not going to be back in 2025. But if he does leave for some reason, Ryan, yeah, that'd be a fun quarterback battle with Steve Angeli, Kenny Minchie, and C.J. Carr. Yes. Really fun quarterback battle. Yeah, and especially those two that that obviously Coleman Ty mentioned with – because Ken, Kenny Mitchie's a pretty thick guy right now, man. Yeah. Like he's imagine him in like two years, he's going to be really well put out, put together. CJ Carr has a body that where he's going to put on a decent amount of weight in a pretty short amount of time when he gets to Notre Dame as well. I mean, those are two very impressive kids, and we talked about it before, right, Brian? Like their games are similar-ish too, right? So it's like going to be kind of easy to it's going to be kind of easy to compare them both because it's like they do a lot of the same things really well. So you're going to be able to really make, I think a good comparison between the two, but at the end of the day, man, we've, we've applauded what Notre Dame has done in 2023 and 2024 with getting such talented quarterbacks. So when they're at the forefront and they're up for the job of, you know, between each other, I, I think that it will be a lot of fun. I agree with what Colby yep. Ty said there. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. 
Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Next question is from Vanilla Chill. Says, does Marty Biaggi have, I think it's Biaggi, I don't know, have experience coaching other positions? He does, actually. So he was actually in 2015, uh, before he got to Notre Dame as the special teams analyst, he was actually the cornerbacks coach at South Dakota. And then in 2011, he was a co-defensive coordinator at Arkansas Pine Bluff during his three years at Southern, where he had some really good special teams. He was also the defensive backs coach as well as the special teams coordinator. So it really wasn't until he got to Notre Dame in 2016 uh, that he became a special teams only guy, which I think is something that's helped him be a good recruiter. Cause that's like, it's the, there's three things that Marty coach Biagi is bring. I'm going to say that. I think that's what people said. Three things he's bringing to the table that I feel good about recruiting as uh, all positions. Number one, number two, they block a lot of kicks, and they've blocked kicks everywhere he's been. And number three, his kickers are usually pretty accurate. And as a guy that was a kicker, you can feel like he actually might have had something to do. Where normally, Ryan, I don't give special teams coaches credit for when their kickers are accurate. Like Scott Booker did nothing to make Justin Yoon accurate. Justin Yoon was always accurate, right? Well, and and and, and they have their personal kicking coaches all over correct, the place too. So, correct. Yeah. Yeah. Coach Biagi actually was a kicker. And so when you see that all his kickers every year tend to be more accurate, you could say, well, I feel like he has a role in that. He can understand the psyche of a place kicker where I couldn't, right? That's why I hated be- talking with kickers and punters because like, these guys just, I just, I don't get them. And, and, you know, so that's part of it, but those three things you feel like, okay, you feel they're going to be good there. Now coverage units have been average to below average return units have been wildly inconsistent. You know, punting has been inconsistent. So there's a lot of aspects that are just not good based on his resume, but those are three areas where he has a very strong track record of success. And hopefully those things are, are going to continue to shine and some of the others will get better at Notre Dame, but he has coached other positions, which I like and, and do appreciate. Where so Brian be a, Mason didn't. Yeah, right? he was always a special teams guy. So Biagi is going to be the assistant cornerback co- coach under uh, Mike Mickens, is what you're saying? <laughs> no, it's not what I'm saying. And you can't joke <laughs> like that on the show because people take that stuff and run with uh, that stuff. It is, man. So, uh, yes, it here's it an interesting question from DJ Holman. Says, would you try the Hidden Valley Ranch flavored ice cream? Maybe an ice cream salad? Absolutely not. Without even no. thinking a second about it absolutely that sounds terrible that sounds absolutely terrible so i mean no well see but i know people that would i know people that genuinely love the taste of ranch like they put ranch on everything my My, my wife my wife is one of them my wife everything so i imagine those people would like a ranch dressing i'm not a big fan of ranch i'll put it on a salad 
but that's about it. Like occasionally, like with some a fruit, like you know, some I mean, some vegetables like celery or carrots. But even then, I I I like to taste the carrots by themselves. I like the taste of celery. Maybe I'll put a little peanut butter, but I just I like to taste the celery by itself. I don't even need peanut butter per se. I just have never been a big ranch guy for me. Kate, Caitlin loves ranch. I like Caesar dressing. That's kind of more my my style of dressing. The question you got to ask now. your wife later today, Ryan, is yeah. would you try a ranch ice she, cream? She wouldn't because she can't she can't eat ice cream in general. Because oh, that's right. That's intolerant. Right. But yes, if, if she I don't think wasn't, she would. if she wasn't, I'm curious of the answer to that. I'm it, actually going to text any, Angela right now. I'm going to ask it, Angela this question. Is there any savory ice creams that you would try, Brian? I think the one thing that I do want to try one time is that they have like maple ice cream that you can get like ba- candied bacon in it and stuff. That actually kind of sounds. I'd probably try that, but I don't know if yeah. I'd like it. I, I you know, my ice, I like pralines and cream. I like butter pecan. I like mint chocolate chip and mint chocolate now, chip is the king. So there is a ice cream place right down the street from our house, and it's called um, I'm trying uh, the uh, Chief. The Chief is I think it was called. And they have tremendous, and they're only open seasonal. So like, it's like, and everything, I think they're, everything's like locally grown, but it is great ice cream. And every now and then I'll get in a bubblegum ice cream mode. And I'll like, maybe like once a year, I'll just have a neat craving for bubblegum ice cream. Cause when I was a kid, there's this place down the street called the Lickety Split. We would ride our bikes to, and they had great bubblegum ice cream when I was a kid, of course. And, and uh, so I'd get it then, but I'm more mint chocolate chip, butter pecan, pralines of cream. Every now and then I'll try something different. They had an amaretto one time, and I tried that because that was one of the flavors of our wedding cake, and I really liked that wedding cake, uh, amaretto uh, wedding cake. We had amaretto, uh, cherry chip, and I forget what the third flavor was. Angela would remember what it was. But, yeah, I would would try some stuff. But you know me, Ryan. I'm a pretty – I know what I like, and I eat what I like, and I'm spending money on something. I'm not spending money to experiment. You know, I'm going to get something that I like. Mint chocolate chip is the king. We just like to put it out there. Sure. It's the greatest of all time. My uh, my sister-in-law has a birthday today. So we're literally going to her house later for uh, for cupcakes. And I literally got a mint, mint chocolate chip cupcake, nice. which is going to be fantastic. So yes. Now, sometimes mint chocolate chip for me can be a little too rich. And so if I'm not like really craving ice cream, I'll have more of a butter pecan or something, you know, something like that. Pralines and cream is really good, too. Yeah. But uh, yeah, I mean, if you're talking about if I had to pick only if I can only have like one ice cream flavor for the rest of my life, I can only have one. They're going to outlaw every other flavor of ice cream. I'd probably go mint chocolate chip. I'm glad to hear that because I get made fun of in my house because my wife and whole her sister say it's just like eating toothpaste. And I'm like, nope, you don't understand what you're talking what about. What kind of anymore. wonderful toothpaste are they having and where can <laughs> I get it? The most That's delicious my... toothpaste of all time. Yes. Yes. Please tell me where I can find the toothpaste <laughs> that tastes like mint. I would. I would brush my teeth nine times a day if I had a toothpaste that tasted like mint chocolate chip ice cream. There's no question. Yes. There's no question. All right. Uh, so <laughs> Mike, Mike Sullivan just said, I'm on a diet. I tuned in three minutes ago. Killing me. <laughs> Sorry. Sorry, man. We'll, uh, we'll move on. We'll move on. Uh, Archer said black cherry ice cream is legit. Loved mint chocolate chip, moose tracks, and uh, most things bluebell. I've never had moose tracks, moose tracks but I've had black cherry ice cream, and it is very good. Yes. Never had black it cherry. Never good. had black it's, cherry. If you like cherry good. stuff, it's very good. And I, I, I like I like cherry. I like black cherry water ice. It's very good. Yeah. So I can get down with that. Yeah, it was very good. We got one from DMMD DMND 13. His question is for the 2024 class, would you rank the position groups from the most confidence 
they will end up with an A or A minus on the IB rating to least confident. They will end up with an A, A minus rating after all is said and done. Oh, that's a good one. Okay. Good one. Um, most confident quarterback. Because you already know. Yeah. Right. Correct. <laughs> yeah. Second most confident, I'd say wide, wide receiver. receiver. Yeah. Next most confident, I'd probably say offensive line. Next most confident, I'd say tight end. Tight end, yeah. yeah. Next most confident, I would say running back. That's assuming they get Kedron Young. I love Kedron Young. And that would be maybe A minus would be there for running back. Yeah. Notice I haven't n- n- mentioned any <laughs> defensive positions yet. Cornerback, uh, I would say, is my definitely my highest on defense right now. I really like yeah. Leonard Moore a lot. I don't know if it'll get up to A minus, though. Just because, like, if they get John Mitchell, for example, to say that's a really good corner class, it has potential to be a minus class if Carson Hobbs takes a big jump as a senior. It, Which it he would. could. He, yeah. He's the key. He's the key. He has to be as good as Notre Dame thinks he is. And if he is, then it jumps up. Yeah. It's kind of like Notre Dame's great at safety took a big jump just because of how much better Ben Minich got as a senior. That impacted their grade a ton. And I think Carson Hobbs could kind of have that impact. Next, I would say, as far as A grade, I say defense is defensive line is, or excuse me, uh, defensive line is next, just because of the potential to get Justin Scott, and and then safety's next, and then last is linebacker. Because the safety class that I mentioned earlier, I don't know if I'd give it an A or an A minus. I just really like it. I don't know if I could say for sure it'd be an A minus, but it's still one I like a lot. And, and, you're, and you're, accumu- you're accumulating depth at safety, too, if you Correct. get that three-man class combined with the three-man class from last year, despite losing Peyton Bowen, then you're like, but, yeah, you got six good football players in a two-year span, right? I mean, that's kind of a different conversation. Yep. So Absolutely. Here's what I'm going to ask you, Ryan, so I'll pull it up. Yeah. This is from Archer452. With the details of Daniel Jones's contract coming out, what is the worst pro sports contract you remember besides Daniel Jones's new contract? Worst contract – I don't know why Albert Hainsworth contract just came up to mind. I don't remember what it was. I just remember that he was such a flop after he left left Tennessee and he was given so much money by the Redskins. And yes, they were the Redskins at that point. So I called them the Redskins. Yeah. He got a seven year, hundred million dollar deal, which at the time was nuts. Yes. And he was bad and he was bad for the Redskins. That's one that popped in. Aren't, aren't, um, What's up? What's the baseball player that's still getting paid a million dollars every single year? Who was that? Bobby Bonilla. Bobby Bonilla still getting paid like 15 yeah. years after his career ended. That's a bad one too, right? I, I thought the Joey Votto contract that the Reds gave Joey Votto was a bad one because they gave it to him. He was already kind of getting up there in years and he was already kind of declining a little bit. Yeah. And he's just never struck me as like, he's so analytically driven that I don't think he's a guy that you really can win with because of him. Because yeah. if it's the bottom of the ninth and there's a runner on second, he's and you throw him four straight pitches, two inches off the outside part of the place, he's going to take a walk. You know, just okay. And then next guy strikes out and you lose the game, right? Because your best hitter, you know, walked because that's what the analytics said. And and the Reds have been, you know, still paying for it. And uh, but there's been some. Scott Mitchell got a big contract from the Lions, which yeah. I thought was stupid. Yeah. Uh, I mean, there's been some like that. NBA's got a lot of bad contracts. Like, no sport has more bad contracts than the NBA. 
Dante Culpepper was another one that popped in my head. You remember when he went to the Dolphins? I feel like he got a big payday, yeah. and it was just like after. But I but dying. I understood that one. Like to me, the Dante Culpepper one was a in in hindsight, it was a bad contract, and and I yeah. don't. I don't really bang teams like that so much. Like the Reds contract to Ken Griffey Jr. ended up being a bad contract, but at the time it was a great contract. You know, he just, you can't anticipate the injuries coming, right? That to me is more of where I am when it comes to what's, what's a, if you, what was a bad contract when it was signed? And that's kind of how I look at that. There's, there's been, there's yeah. been a lot like that, but I, I thought the Scott Mitchell contract was bad. There's been a lot of backup quarterbacks that became starters that I thought the Ryan Tannehill contract was awful. I wouldn't call it the worst of all time, but I mean, there's a lot of NBA contracts we could look at because the way that the NBA pays players is just, I mean, you don't have to be even good in the NBA to make 10 plus million dollars a year. Like, it's just nuts. Yeah. So, and it's so hard to get rid of a bad contract in the NBA. It's just that that would be the worst for me. Who was the quarterback that went to USC and then Doug Johnson? What's that? Well, Rob Johnson. Rob Johnson. Yeah. And he, uh, I remember. So, so um, what's his name? Doug Flutie took took the t- took the Bills to a good record, right? And then Rob Johnson took over in the playoffs. I think he had a really good uh, game in the playoffs, and then he got a crazy contract off of that one game, and it did not end up well, if I recall. For uh, Here, here's some that I actually looked this up, and it was a report on Bleach Report from 2019. Ten worst contracts, and well, Bobby Benilla's one. He gets 1.2 million per year through 2035. <laughs> That's wild. <laughs> nuts. Uh, Miguel Cabrera signed eight years, two hundred forty-eight million through this past year or through this upcoming year, and he was already getting kind of old by then. Chris Davis got one hundred sixty-one million over seven years. That was a bad contract. I remember that now. He was he was not a guy that should have got that kind of money. Uh, there's a hockey goalie I've never heard of. Jacoby oh. Ellsberg got a hundred fifty-three million dollar contract for seven years. That was a crap contract. Another hockey guy I've never heard of. Jokum Noah got four years, seventy-two million dollars. I don't know if that's a bad, today's era. I don't know if that's necessarily a bad contract. Yeah. Uh, they had Albert Pujol signs. I don't agree with that one. Uh, John wall, four years for 169 million. That's, yeah, but again, you could pick just about any NBA con Andrew Wiggins, five years, 147. There's a lot of contracts like that in the NBA right now, just <laughs> nutty contracts. And, and uh, yeah, speaking of bad business models. All right, let's go over to Jason Smith. Uh, He's more of a comment, Ryan. If the wide receiver commits this year are Cam Williams, Quasi Gilmer, Jeremiah McClellan, and Isaiah Canyon would be an awesome group. Yes. And I could yeah. I could sub out three or four guys, Emmett Mosley, Micah Gilbert, guys like that, that I could sub in for any of these guys and and still would be the same thing. It would be it that's would be, a yeah. that's a lot of length right there. Yes, wide receiver yes. core. That's like six two Cam Williams with long arms. It's Quasi Gilmer six two with long arms. It's Jeremiah McClellan who's six one and a half with solid length, and then that's Isaiah Canyon who's like six three with vines for arms yeah. too. So that's a it's a long group, man. It's a very long group. <laughs> yep. Here, here's a good one, Ryan. I'm going to read because it's a recruiting question, so I'll read it for you to yeah. answer. Call me Ty says, give me a 2024 guy that you're keeping an eye on that might make a huge jump his senior year. I mean, I, I think that if Caleb Brewer plays offensive line as a senior, I think he's one that's going to take a massive jump, right? Yeah. Like he's in perception. Correct. Yes. In per- he's yeah. still a heck I mean, of a player. Yeah. Yes. There's I mean, two ways to look at it, Ryan. Yeah. Let me, let me just, let me just give you answer it two ways because yeah. I see where you're going with yours and, yeah. and, and I now see the problem. Number one is who's going to make a big jump in perception ranking 
And then who do you think could make a big jump as a player? Like Ben Minich did, for example. Yes. So, so answer yeah. if you could both of those ways. Yeah. So Caleb Brewer would be my guy from a perception perspective because there's, I mean, I still think there's two recruiting services don't have him ranked at all. And then there's other two that have like three stars on them. I'm just like, okay, man. All right, cool. He's one perception on field. I think Bryce Young is one that can take a huge jump. I think that he's now growing into his body. I mean, he's now about six foot five, 240 pounds. Benedict Ume, who's on Notre Dame's radar, but is not committed. He's another guy that I think can take a massive jump because he is very long athletic but like he's still learning you know who would probably be my number one answer though brian now that i have things turning in my mind a little bit darian mayo who is out of good counsel in maryland he is six 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 seven somewhere in that ballpark 240 pounds crazy length athletic as anything but he only played this is his first year this past year playing football first year as a junior playing football he was a basketball player before that going into now his second year of playing football as a senior I expect Darian Mayo to take a huge jump as a football player. Yeah. Isaiah Canyon's one for me from a perception standpoint, if he is able to play more receiver this year, but he's a guy that could see a big jump as a player and a, from a recruiting ranking standpoint, he's definitely one that I could see. So yeah, good answer, Ryan. Good answer. Here we go. We've got another one from Rob Osgood. And his question is guys, you are the offensive coordinator this year. Please describe a little what you would run a base as a base offense, and how would you attack Ohio State, USC, and Clemson? Oh boy! Uh, well, I'm a pro style guy. I've said that before, Ryan. I like the shotgun. I'm a guy that likes mixing up personnel. I'd use 11. I'd use 12. I'd use 21. I would a lot of different form. I'm a believer that give me less volume of plays and greater volume of alignments and personnel, and I think I can really go at a team in that regard. I like motions and shifts. If it's you know if it's useful, I mix in tempo every now and then, but you know, I'm an inside outside going inside outside zone foundation guy with some other power mixes in, you know, some, so I like the, I like the buck sweet concept out of that. I think it fits in really well with zone stuff. You can teach it as well. Uh, you have to have a counter play. So, I mean, I, I'm not far off of where Notre Dame is and what I would do. It's just, I think they need to do it a little bit better. And, and so that would be the thing for me for, if you're Ohio state, I mean, look, it's really just about, you've got to be able to establish the run. And you've got to be able to get the ball down the field. I still think their cornerbacks are the weakest part of their defense. Uh, I think next year, I, I actually expect Ohio State to be a, quite a bit better next year defensively. I think losing certain guys is going to end up being a benefit. I think losing Zach Harrison is going to be a gain for them because I just feel he was just way too inconsistent. Whereas now you're going to have better football players taking those snaps, even though they may not be the freaky toolsy guys that he is i think you know with jack sawyer and jt and those guys kind of taking more of the reps they're now going to be juniors they're going to be better everybody else basically on their d-line comes back except for harrison and you know javante jean baptiste who are you know we're, we're, we're two big ends for them or two ends for them i think linebacker they're going to be good again i think safety they're going to be good now that they got two years in the system i'm just not a big fan of their corners and i know other people are i'm just i'm just not I think especially Denzel Burke, I think he's very overrated. Now, he'll be a junior next year, and he's still a young player, but you got to be able to find ways to get the ball down the field. That's what Michigan did, and you got to be able to find ways to run the football because until Ohio State proves to me that they can really handle a power running team, I'm going to try to be a power running team. And then I, I do think the other thing, too, is that defense can can be ISO'd if you're a smart pass game coach. And this was an issue for Jim Knowles at Duke. When he had a really good secondary, it was, a, it was an issue for him at times at Oklahoma State. It was an issue for him last year. You can do things formationally with motions and shifts 
to create ISOs that can expose them in the pass game. And that's always been an issue for his defenses. USC, just do what you do. They're just not that good on defense, coaching-wise or talent-wise. And, and Clemson, same thing. Is it's, it's similar to Ohio State. Find a way to establish the ground game and attack them down the field with their passing game. That's I mean, that's the two times Notre Dame beat Clemson, that was there. They didn't take advantage of it a ton this year, but it was there. They could have certainly done it. And it was certainly there in 2020, and they took advantage of it the first time and didn't the second time. And so I think that's uh, those are the keys to me, how I would attack those teams, just generally speaking. Yeah, Ohio State is an interesting one because obviously their linebackers were a lot better in 2022 than they were in 2021. I mean, that, that was like the one of the biggest improvements, I think, on that team in general was that Tommy Eichenberg was a completely different football player than what he was the year before. I mean, he was one of the best linebackers in college football. I, th- I think the ISO part is really interesting, Brian. I agree with it completely is that – you need to make those second level guys because they have him and Steel Chambers coming back, right? Like you need to make those guys uncomfortable, and you need to kind of mess with their eyes a little bit. And I think that you you just need to be able to make them not as comfortable in the box, right? Like Tommy Eichenberg in the box is just a really good football player. I want him force him sideline to sideline, outside the tackle, force him into the passing game a little bit more because he. I mean, he had a great season, but I think that he still. I think he's a solid athlete. I don't think he's a great athlete, though. I still think there's ways that you can take advantage of him in space a ton. So I think that for me, that that's the that's the way that I really want to take advantage of of a guy like an Eichenberg. And I think that for me, it's there's talent in the secondary. It's just I don't think they communicate very well, man. Like I was thinking Michigan game, man. Is I feel like there was just so much miscommunication everywhere. You know, it was just like. The one play I think Lathan Ransom got kind of like sucked up on the one as well, where you're just like, I'm not really sure what his communication issue is there, but he's a talented player, obviously, right? But I think isolating some of those guys is a very sound idea, smart idea. USC is one of those games where, man, like I just want to be able to run the football on them early and then do whatever the heck I want because that I think that defensive line wise, they're very average linebacker wise. They have a couple names, but I think they're a little bit overrated. Like just not a good defense in general. Clemson's going to be stout in between the tackles though next year. They should be with Tyler Davis and Root coming back. So I want to kind of get them a little bit working laterally as well. So maybe I mix in maybe a little bit more outside zone, a little bit of, you know, pin and pull stuff, working to the perimeter against a, guy, a team like a Clemson. Just get those guys moving because now if you get those defensive line moving laterally and moving across, the formation, that's when guys start getting tired out a little bit, right, and start getting worn down. So I think that for me, you know, Clemson's a team that I think, think should be pretty strong up the middle next year as far as the returners they have. But you need, So you need to, I think, kind of move those guys and really kind of test their endurance, if that makes sense. It does. Let's go to the next question here, Ryan, from Zach Martin. Zach Martin says, everybody loves a good sports name. What players have had the coolest and or most appropriate names in your opinion? Oh, that's a good one. That's a good one. Well, I mean, Notre Dame's had a couple like that, right? Rocket Ismail was very fitting. It uh, wasn't his real name, but Michael Stonebreaker was Stonebreaker another one. Had a as, great a line, name. as a linebacker, like that's a great name. Yeah. A, yeah. a quarterback at Notre Dame, uh, uh, you know, the fighting Irish named Brady Quinn was a great, a great sports name. So Notre Dame, those are some of the ones that I like uh, coming out. Some of the others, I mean, one of my favorite, my favorite sports names growing up was Dennis Oil Cam Boyd. You remember him? Oh, yeah. 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 Now again, it was a nickname, 
but yeah, that was a that was a good nickname, right? I mean, very good nickname. There, there, there are a lot of good baseball nicknames. There's a lot of good baseball nicknames. You you know one that I really liked, Brian was um he's a ra- really random college football player, but I'm sure you probably remember him. Do you remember Air Force had a safety that's name was Weston Steelhammer? Do you remember that? I don't remember that. No, I don't. Remember he, that. he was he was like oh. in the early 2000s or like mid 2000s. He was a good safety for Air, Air Force. But I just remember every time you would watch a play, you're like, his name is Weston Steelhammer. Like, are you kidding me yeah. right now, man? What a great name for a safety. Yeah, absolutely phenomenal. Yeah. That's a good one. Yeah, those yeah. are those are some. I mean, there's, I like names, right? But they're not always like the fitting names. It's kind of like you know that guy just has a like Jerome Bettis. That just has a, like you know. I always said like, in the last thirty years, how how many guys have been really great players with, like really basic names? Like the only thing I can think of is an MMA with like John Jones. Like okay, yeah, it's a pretty boring name. It, it's how it's how I, I would say that. that to his face. <laughs> it's how I knew that Max Brown wasn't going to be a good quarterback at yes, USC. I'm like exactly. his name's Max Brown. Exactly. <laughs> Yes, exactly. The only good guy named I've seen play Billy Bob, a football player named Billy Bob was in a movie. So, Billy, oh yeah, uh, Billy Bob. Yeah. I knew, yeah, that was great. Yeah, he had he had, uh, a, he had a pig named Bacon. It was fantastic. Yeah, here's another one from Zach Martin. He's got a couple here. Uh, Zach Martin says Bob Evans or Cracker Barrel. I've actually What's never been to a Bob. I've never been to a Bob Evans. So Cracker Barrel by default, I guess. Uh, it's it's Bob Evans. Uh, you just trust me on this one, Ryan. It's Bob Evans. Is now, it Bob Evans? Bob Evans is yeah. like the one around here. There's one that was over on um, Grape uh, that closed down, but it's Bob. Bob Evans actually, I always thought had good food, good breakfast food. I never really had like their sandwiches and stuff. They had good breakfast food. We used to go to a Bob Evans all the time when we lived in Defiance because there weren't a lot of other options, and they had a good Bob Evans out there uh, when we got the right server anyway. But uh, yeah, Bob Evans for me would be my answer. I'm not a big fan of Cracker Barrel. I never have. I like shopping in their store a lot more than I like eating their food. I've been to a single Cracker Barrel in my life. So that tells you how much I love Cracker Barrel. 